I'll tell you, that would be a golden moment surpassing the thing that the guy said when he introduced the presidential candidate 25 years ago. Did you hear that one? And now I bring you Heber Herber. Uh, Herbert Heber. And I'll, a lot of guys says, yeah, he's heaving a lot of stuff, I'll tell you. And the guys struggled for 15 minutes and they played Hail to the Chief. They faded it down and brought on Vic and Sade. All right, hold on here. Just a minute. Those of you who are here know that there's a lot of things that you don't hear on the radio, right, gang? In fact, if you've been wondering all those years you've been listening to the radio when they're really going to say it on the radio? <laughs> what do you mean, it? What is it? What a rotten bunch. Look at that. Look at that. Here, every night I come down here believing that this is a clean limb, beautiful group of humanity gathered every night here to pay homage to the muses. And listen to what I get here. Sarcastic, snotty, tickering. People tittering in the darkness here. How do you think I feel? Coming down here. Oh, wait a minute. We're on the air. Just a minute. <laughs> Some guy out in Ohio there just had a real bad moment at the front seat of his Mercury, trying to explain this one to the chick. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you aware, friends, that tonight is a full moon night? Already I've received five insane nut notes up here at the front desk here. Each one scrawled in a rugged handwriting and says, I am here! It's a full moon night. <laughs> Look around, friends. Yes. Out of the darkness and from under those privet hedges they come. Each one of us has, though, don't you forget it, inside of us. A little gray, furry creature with red-rimmed, bloodshot eyes. <laughs> don't think for one minute those horn-rimmed glasses fool me, Dad. <laughs> and those hair curlers. <laughs> oh, no. Inside of each one of us is this little sneaky thing. <laughs> and you stand around. And it's going inside. <laughs> Kill him. Kill him. And you drive, you know, you're out on Queens Boulevard driving along there, and you see this fantastic wreck. The guys are laying all over, the blood is flowing, and the cars are burning. And you say, I never look at accidents. And this little thing inside of you says, go on back, take a look. <laughs> That's where the action is, go on back. You know, it's like the Daily News, you ever seen those? It says, crash photos on page three. And you go past this picture of Gina Lola Brigida, alderman caught in fantastic love nest. <laughs> How many love nests are working out there tonight? Gang? How do you picture a love nest? Is it a pad over in the East 20 somewhere? What is a love nest? <laughs> hey, Alderman, look out. They're looking in the window. By the way, one night on the radio, I hurled an invective. And all I said, I said, take your radio and put it on the windowsill. Because everybody everywhere figures he's got everything pretty well under control. You know, we're jungle creatures and we have our little pathways that we've worked out through our jungle. 
Each one of us knows the little drug stores that we go to, the little places. You know, it's like it's, we, we really do. We work out a little range, you know, like all other animals. That's called the range of the creature. There's little places where he goes and chicks he knows, little matches that he uses and cigarettes that he, he smokes and drinks that he drinks. He's decided this is what his life is, this thing. Now, he views all other lives with a great deal of suspicion. And yet, envy. Even the rottenest bum, there is a little suspicion of it inside us. Somehow he's figured something out. <laughs> he's laying there in the doorway and there's a bottle of sneaky feet next to him. You know? And you go past and you try to pretend you don't see him. And inside of you is always a little rotten you, laying in the doorway next to your pancreas, holding a bottle of Sneaky Pete drunk. How many of you don't want to get up in the morning? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you love to just pull it all over your head to just lay there? On and on and on. And then finally you have to drag yourself out the face. And you say, isn't it a nice day? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I know the scene. Boy, I'll tell you, it's all there. And, 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 but, but inside of us, of course, there's always this little thing, this little sneaky, rotten thing. And so one night, doing an invective on the air, I said, put your radio on the windowsill. Just put it on the windowsill, because the guys that listen to this show, there's certain people in the world, I don't know how it is, certain people in the world who don't have it figured out and who know it. Now, do you remember Sinclair Lewis's Babbitt? Had it all figured out. Sell plenty of real estate and you're in business. All there is to it. And there are millions of guys who feel that if you've got a good job and you've got a decent bowling score and a new Chevy, life is figured out. <laughs> Nothing else to it. That's all. Just get those things and all right. But then there's the rest of us, you see. Skulking along, you get the Chevy, you got the good job, your average is 190, and still inside is that little thing. Whenever you go past the crash photos, just take a look at them. Look at that. And you see the Chevy all splattered all over Queens Highway. And you're sitting there with your little safety belts, huh? Oh, boy. Oh, wow. You know, it's a very scary thing. Of course, very few of us in our lifetimes, under normal conditions, just living. And, you know, I think society and civilization is an entire structure to keep us out of danger. I think that's really what society is. It's a structure that we've built, a fantastic conglomeration of rules and laws and ways and paths and roads and cars and wheels, all of it to keep us out of danger. Got a very interesting problem there. Have you noticed that in the society we live in, hardly anybody's ever seen anybody really dead? You know? Hardly anyone's ever seen any of these real things. You never see anybody born. Very few of us ever do. All the while we see people drive cars. And they walk around. They've got clothes on. They look very official. We look sort of immortal, immutable. But once in a great while, a thing comes along where we know a guy is in mortal danger and we all watch. 
I don't care how much of an intellectual you are, you watch. I suspect everybody in America watched John Glenn when he went up, you know? Well, now, were they all interested in electronics? All those viewers? <laughs> Was it space travel they were fascinated in? It's pretty hard to tell. But everybody looked, waiting. For what? Nobody knows. Well, in our lifetimes, we rarely are subjected to a fantastic thing like this. Well, I remember one time in my life, I think most guys that are, that are involved in brave things, what are become, call, they're called brave afterwards, were not even asked. They didn't know it was brave. It was just a rotten thing. You know, some silly thing that happened. Literally a silly thing. One time, I'm in the Army. This is not an Army story. It's a story... You know, you never hear about experiments that really fall right on their you-know-what. You hear about the ones that make it, you know, like the, the, the orbits. I can tell you of one experiment in the Army. Uh, uh, it scared the living daylights out of me that absolutely fell right flat on its you-know-what. And I was there. Well, I'll tell you what happened. This, ever since that time, I've always had a sneaking suspicion. Every time I see movies where guys are doing brave things, I keep saying, oh, yeah. I bet you didn't know, Mac. I bet you didn't know. You know, there they are bravely walking into danger and the bullets are flying and they get... Oh, no. I'm in the Army right over here at Fort Dix. <laughs> oh, what a place. Oy. Fort Dix, you know... I, I don't know anything about the Dix that it was named after. General Dix. Or something. It must have been somebody like that. I kept thinking of Richard Dix when I was there. <laughs> it was named after a great hero of our time. So I, I, I'm, at, I'm at Fort Dix, and they sent about 25 guys from the Signal Corps there on what they called assigned detached service. No, no, no questions. I was at Monmouth for a while. One day they called about 25 guys. You're going over to Dix for a couple of days, you guys. Take your helmets. All right. So, you know, you go. So, yeah. Usually you leave your tin hats behind. You go in ODs or you go in, in, in Class A's or something when you're on detention. You know, you figure it's going to be a good deal. So they send us over there, and there's 25 of us. And they took us out, and we're Signal Corps men. You have to know that, you see. And all of us have been trained in an esoteric Signal Corps art, which I have never seen done in a movie which, if it were ever done in a movie, would be one of the most wild, thrilling movie sequences you could do. We are trained in high-speed wire laying. Any of you ex-GIs know what this is? Well, it's about as close as driving the wrong way on 6th Avenue at rush hour as you can get. It really is. Three guys stand on the back end of a Jeep which has no governor on it, is going 79 miles an hour through the, through the jungles and the swamps, and you've got a big reel of wire, and you're throwing a wire out. That's all. You, know? you go up and down, you throw more wire out, and you're laying it, you see. And all the while, guys are shooting. <laughs> it's a very interesting business. And, and you lay this wire. You know, have, you ever seen the, have you ever seen the, the, the scenes in the movies where Gregory Peck is on the phone, and he's laying in the hole there, and he's got his little band of hardy men around him? And he's on the phone, and he's talking to the, the forward observation post. It's Van Johnson up there, or James Whitmore or somebody. Well, how do you think that phone works? 
Has it ever occurred to you that some poor slob is... Cl- I mean, and they're down there in the hole, you know, with a phone. Somebody's up there with the wires, you know, boom. All right, so you got a wrong number. Shut up. You know, wrong number, I'll get you a number. And boom, another one. And, of course, all the while, they're lobbing the, they're lobbing the mortars in, see, and... and, and and what a, a high-speed signal wire laying team is, is really, it's, it's a kind of low-level suicide squad. There's no rank in it. Everybody's a PFC, or maybe at the most a corporal. There's rotten hard work, but it's a, a terrific skill. And then there are wire layers, wire layers. Oh, yeah, every little, every little, believe me, every little profession has its Ted Williamses. Every, that's the truth. I mean, among, uh, I don't care what it is, among the certain group of guys, like for example, among truck drivers, there must be a DiMaggio. He can swear better than anybody. You know, he can bash fenders in without even making a sound. You know, that kind of guy. Yeah, the real pro. Well, I am assigned down there, and we have with us a guy who's a famous wire layer. He's introduced to us. He's from Fort Benning. And he's, we're, we're told, he's the greatest of all. Big, six-and-a-half-foot guy, heavy set, you know. That kind of solidity that certain men have. You feel that even if it all goes to hell, it's right, you know? You know, that kind of thing. And so we're standing there, and the captain says, All right, man, we're going to try a dangerous experiment. Very interesting experiment. And, you know, we, we're, it's, it looks so innocent there in the sun at Fort Dix, you know? dangerous experiment. The army like to, it always likes to dramatize itself. Because we're going to try a dangerous experiment here. We're going to try a new method of laying wire. What do you think is warm enough 45 feet behind us? A DC-3. And it just goes, you know, it's going... <laughs> it's blowing the wind, you know, and a couple of hot rock-looking flyers are standing around, hitting the old dial, you know. All number seven, they're walking around, and, and, and there's a strange-looking rack on the bottom of it. <laughs> now it's beginning to soak through, isn't it, gang? So I know exactly what Mr. Glenn was going through. And so we're all standing, of course, we're all PFCs. There's no television. Walter Cronkite is not on the scene. There is no fame there. We are not going to be written up in TV Guide. There are going to be no, no medals for this. Nothing. The 25 of us are there. And he says, all right, I want the five, the five guys on the end. Guess who was number three from the left? <laughs> I don't know, you know. I, I learned later. That was early in my career, boy. After that, I'm always in the middle of the line jostling. It, it, a GI learns to jostle both left and right simultaneously. <laughs> A guy, if you ever saw an amoeba divide itself up a million ways, a GI could be seven guys, three guys on the end there, and all it is is Fred. He's the, <laughs> it's the truth. I, personal camouflage is a real art, really. And so, so uh, there I am, you know, the five of us, and we don't, you know, we still can't believe it. We cannot believe it. You know, we think that they're going to put us in the plane, take us to some other place, then they will put us in our jeep. And we will have maybe dual carbs on the Jeep, you know. It's going to be the dangerous experiment. So the plane is going... <laughs> and the captain says, 
there has been a lot of speculation as to whether or not number 17 double-stranded M1 slash 2 telephone communication wire series B can be laid from the air. And the five of us, they have decided to stop speculating. Boy, I'll tell you, when the finger points at you, and it's a 17,000-foot-long finger made of granite and stainless steel, which is the army. And he says, we're going to try this afternoon. What we're going to do, men, first of all, we're going to, we're going to get into this thing gradually. How do you get in the air gradually? Immediately at my mind, he says, we're going to try, we're just going to try short segments of wire laying. We're going to fly at an altitude of 150 feet. And here is the way the rack works. Sergeant Haskell will show you. And old Haskell says, come here, man. Get up here in a plane. So we climb up in the plane, and I'll tell you, a military airplane does not look like American Airlines. <laughs> There's all kinds of little things that says, escape. In case of enemy fire, pull this, you know. <laughs> all sorts of things, you know, little things to hang on to when it's going down. And it's just nothing but a little thin, apparently a little thin shell of Reynolds wrap between you and the fantastic things that are out there. So we're standing in this plane. They don't even have floors in them, you know, just little runways. We're standing there. And he says, now, when we get over to Wyoming area, the navigator up in front will give us a signal through the intercom. This is the intercom. You wear the earphones. He will say we are approaching the wire area. Release hatch cover. At that point, you... And he points to Gasser, my buddy. He says, at that point, you reach down and grasp handle B. See it? B. Slip it back like that. You, Shepard, get over on his side, handle A, like that. Swing it back, snap it back on snap C. Yeah. All right, try it. Go ahead, Gasser. Gasser gets down there. I get over here. I lift it up, and all of a sudden, there ain't no floor in the plane. <laughs> I can see the dandelions down there. And the hole is like 20 feet wide and this big, see? And we stand there. We're all, all sort of standing back. And it's only, you know, the airplane is only about six feet off the ground. You know, the thing goes down. And it looks like you're a mile high already. We're standing around. There's a little place to stand, you know. We're all looking down. And he says, all right, now you. Over there, you two. You press lever C. You see it down here on a winch? The minute you do that, you throw out shoot D. Shoot D is there. It's a little shoot on the end of the wire. Throw it out. It will begin to unreal. Watch the counter. The minute you hit 17-5, snap it off, close the hatch, and signal the navigator the wire has been laid. Any questions? Boy, were there questions. I'm telling you, and none of you, there are some questions you can't phrase. You can't put them into words, you know, and I'm thinking, all I got to do is pull back, snap A, gas is on B, and gas, and the little, the five of us, the sergeant crawls down, and he says, they're going to lay the wire over this area, right here to the left of the landing strip, over the trees, 
and pass the water tower. We want to see how it works in uneven terrain. Any questions about that? All right, men. Good luck. <laughs> I'm telling you, it sounds like I'm inventing this. This is exactly what happened. We've never seen this thing before. And so the five of us sit down on these little, they have little, like, little netting things you hang on. They put a, a strap on you. And we've got these big helmets. They give us these big flying helmets. We're sitting there with our sheepskin coats. Each one of us a good, solid PFC. We've crawled up the, the long command lines of the Army. We've reached this present state of eminence. We've all been brought up on movies, you know, with Don Amici and guys flying in these airplanes and Errol Flynn. And here we're in this rotten, old, crummy airplane. You have no idea what they do with the old airplanes that have been shot down, and they put them together. They use them for experiments. They put them back together. You know, we're sitting there. There's patches all over this thing. It's flown over 16 million miles of the front. Oh, they're looking awful. And we're sitting there, and up in the front, you can see the navigator, the crew chief, and the pilot. The, everything is open in a war plane. You know, just, everything. And something isn't working. They're fooling around, you know. They, we're sitting there watching. They're getting the thing started. And it's very funny to see them start an airplane in the Army. It's almost like a Ford or something. It starts, you know. They just turn a couple of switches and... And the wings are flopping. If you, oh yeah, those old DC-3s had a great way. And we start rolling. It's not even on a runway. It's on the grass. It's out here at Dick's, and we start rolling over the dandelion. We get at the other end. I'll tell you, we're sitting there, and they got these little holes you can look out, and we can see our friendly barracks back there. You'd be surprised how, how, how great a lousy, rotten hole can look at certain moments. It's all I've learned perspective, believe me. I'll tell you. And there is those, those beautiful white barracks with the sun. You know, the sun is shining down. You can see G.I.s. Do you remember that great line out of Casey at the Bat? Somewhere the sun is shining. Birds are singing. Somewhere the bands are playing. There it was. Camp Dicks looked beautiful. The sun is coming down. You could see guys going in to get their Milky Ways at the P action. And it looked like Oz, you know? It looked like the most beautiful place in the world. Guys are walking out, and this thing is going. And there is nothing snottier than a first lieutenant DC 3 pilot with a second lieutenant co-pilot navigator who are not about to do the dangerous experiment. They got five PFCs back there. You know, they just drive along. They know the word. You know, PFC is very expendable in the Army. PFC in the Army stands for something that none of you civilians know what it stands for. <laughs> Do any of you remember what PFC stood for? All right, you tell your chick what it stood for on the way home. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a great expression. There we were all PFCs. And the plane is rolling. We get out to the end of what was the runway, you know? It was just a long, a long field. And we're sitting there looking at that winch. A, a machine, you know, can become a very, very deadly enemy. Something that is about to destroy you. Some nut invented this thing. And it's laying there, and it's made out of blue steel. Somebody had welded it together. You know, it's one of these fabrication jobs. Obviously experimental. <laughs> had big white A, B, C levers on it. You know, everything was obviously just put together. I can imagine Glenn getting into his capsule, you know, 
and he gets in there and he finds that it's, it, you know, it's kind of taped together. <laughs> they didn't tell you about those things. The last minute they found out circuit D doesn't work. It's just a great idea. It doesn't work. So they tape it across the alley, you know. And he's laying there among the tape and the little notes says, in case it doesn't work, Fred, do this kind of thing. Well, we're sitting there, and then on the intercom comes our first lieutenant. And he says, all right, man, he says, I'm your captain. I'm Lieutenant Johnson. And uh, have any of you ever done any parachute work? And, of course, there we're sitting. And he says, look, he said, you all have parachutes issued to you, and in case of trouble... The crew chief will give you further instructions. Further instructions? What kind of trouble? And right there we're sitting. And the thing is now, it, you can't turn back. You know, in a, real, in a real experiment, there's no turning back. The first guy that put the match to the first stick of dynamite. There's no turning back. You light it and there it is. You know, you... Well, we're sitting in our, little, in our little things. We get down to the end of the runway. And he starts with the motors. You know how they gun the motors to see whether the oil pressure is up? And they go... And you can see oil squirting out of this tub, you know. Everything's like... We're like, gases. My God, what is this? What are they trying to do? What kind of talk do they want to put over the wires? And then he turns it around. And she slowly looks down that runway. Boy, you know that moment? We all know it, you know, as flyers. We all fly the 707s. I don't think there is any scarier moment in flying that, that, than that one instant of suspension when the plane stops and looks down the runway and it sort it knees, you know, the knees sort of go down under it and it sort of leaps. Oh, wow, you know, and everybody has a martini and they're sitting there reading the Reader's Digest. <laughs> and you're not fooling the plane. You can see the plane is really worried itself, you know. <laughs> Look, darn. Oh, yeah. No wonder they painted teeth on a lot of planes in the front. You, know? <laughs> you ever seen those planes with the eyes and the teeth? Well, it's a, it's a very, very basic thing, you see, because the machine knows what it's about to do, and man wants to pretend it ain't. Why, it's not doing that at all. We're just going to go to Buffalo. Of course, all you really are doing in all the laws of... Do you realize the number of subtle laws of physics that keep you up in the air? Millions of laws, all kinds of little arrows and vectors and all kinds of little swirling things. If you ever saw the diagram of an airplane in flight, you wonder how it ever gets up. One little line goes out of tilt, and the whole thing is all over Ohio. All over. I'm serious. I'm telling you the truth. Oh, yeah. It's a fact. So we're sitting there. We are all technicians, you know. We know something about these things. And we're immediately beginning to think, what happens when we open up the bottom of this thing and the wind comes in? I mean, have you ever seen the bottom of your plane gone? The 707, you know, over Cleveland? And with that, it starts to roll. Well, I can tell you this, and I think all of us, since we're all alive and human beings, we've all faced the horns of the bull in one way or another. There is a moment when, when all, and, and, and this must be something great that was given to us by nature, providence, God, whatever it is you believe in. There is a moment when we throw ourselves in the lap of what it is. We just say, I got no control. It's out of my hands. 
as if somehow that makes it feel better. You know that moment in the plane when it starts going, you say, well, there's nothing I can do now. <laughs> and you feel innocent and good, you know, <laughs> that, that if it crashes, you're not responsible. It's not, <laughs> you know, you, 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 there you are, you're going to look like a great big bowl of ketchup and peanut butter. <laughs> Doesn't make any difference. I didn't do it, you know. <laughs> Well, we're sitting there, and, and we start, and there was that moment, and, and of course what comes with that moment is a kind of false optimism, that as long as I'm not responsible, and hence it must be good, then hence everything is going to be all right. That moment where we start rolling down the runway, and we immediately, the five of us, are saying, you know, this is not a bad deal. You know, it's not a bad deal. You know, I wonder if they're going to form airborne wire laying teams. You get flight pay. <laughs> yeah, you get flight pay. Gee, that's great. You know, we got helmets, maybe some wings and stuff. You know, wings with wire hanging down, you know. <laughs> wire laying team, little silver wire, something, you know, combat boots and everything. So we're talking, and immediately, you know, we start thinking of the great stuff that's going to happen, and that plane is all the while going... <laughs> well, a DC-3 that has had maybe 16 million hours on its airframe and like 458 combat missions on its two poor, sad, tired engines is the noisiest, insanest, scariest machine that I know of. Everything creaks. Little things leak. I don't know what, what is in the cabin. The stuff is squirting out little pipes and stuff all over it. And things are rattling and the windows are going. And it's up. Oh. You know, it's, it's, it's up for a second, it's sort of settled. We're settling, the trees are coming up and down. And it settles down and you say, Whew. And you felt that instant that you have already succeeded in the experiment. Just getting up. I'm sure that Glenn, the minute he got up into orbit, felt, well, that's fine. It was only 10 minutes later that somebody says, no, when you start coming down, then he realized. Well, immediately after getting up in the air, we're about, oh, maybe 500 feet in the air, and this clown up in the front gets on the thing. He says, all right, we'll be over the area now in about two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes, we're just up. You know, they don't mess around in the Army. They don't go out, you know, show you Rome and things. <laughs> but below is Jones Beach, folks. So I take a look at that. He says, two and a half minutes, we'll be over the area. Prepare your equipment. And one of the guys says, what do you mean? He says, what do you mean, what do you mean? Open the hatch. I get up. <laughs> it's me, you know. And Gasser. And we both get up. We look down at this thing. And I got my big thing here marked B. And Gasser's got A. Or I got A. And he's got B. We're standing we can't even figure. Guess what? What are we supposed to do? Guess is I, I. What do you need to pull it up or sideways? I said, well, Gasser, let's just both grab it together and pull. And so we're standing there, and with that, the guy back of me, Johnson, Johnson says, hey, listen. He says, who's supposed to work the winch? And I turn around. I'm not. I don't want the winch. I work this. Don't give me the winch. And, I'm done, and I've got my earphones on, and the thing is shaking. You know very funny. You don't feel at all like a hero. You just feel like, oh, this is ridiculous stuff. And, and with that, Gaster says, well, okay, okay. So I look across and we pull this thing back. It goes clunk, clunk, clunk. And for an instant, it didn't work. You know, it didn't come up. Clunk, clunk. 
The thing flew back and there was the most insane torrent of wind. Papers, junk, cigar butts, all the stuff. This old airplane, you know, had been taking guys over Germany for years. We're standing back and here it goes underneath us. The trees. Insane everything. Water towers and it's just a big green, yellow, brown, white. You ought to look straight down from an airplane. You know, you think you know the speed of an airplane when you're 35,000 feet above Cleveland in a DC-8 or a 707. Wow, 250, 400 feet above the ground looking straight down. You can't believe it. You cannot believe anything be like this. It's just like a blur. It's, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting that's gone nutty. You know? and we're standing there, and then he says, all right, drop. Drop the stuff. We're coming up. We're coming up. Drop. We're frozen. He's standing there. He said, what happened? What happened? Is the stuff over here? What happened? All right, we'll go back around the course again. And so we start, we're feeling, oh, are we feeling rotten? You know, this is not the way Errol Flynn would have done it. <laughs> we sort of stand there, and he is eating us out. We did not realize that the pilot is in charge of this thing. He is. And he says, do you realize the captain and two majors and a lieutenant colonel are watching? He says, I'll pretend that we were just taking a quick practice run over. He gets on the radio, practice run now. We're going into actual run, Bob, now. Going into actual wire-laying run now. That means there ain't no chickening out this time. So we go back around, you know, the plane makes that big, gentle, sweeping curve, makes the wings down, and he starts coming down again. He lays it right on the deck this time. And boy, you can see the trees. You can see stuff, dust flying from our wake. We're hanging on there. And with that, Johnson gets over. He's edging over by this winch. You know, it's, it's over here. And here's the hole. I'm over. He edges around. He holds on to the thing. The other guy's got this little crummy parachute that's hooked to the end of the wire. It's got like little cables and stuff. It's, okay. All watching. The lieutenant is saying, Ready, man, alert. Okay, back there. Give me a check. Johnson says, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, isn't it great how they talk in movies, those guys on the, the, the intercom? All right, Roger, Roger, uh, 7 o'clock high, bandits at 7 o'clock high. You ought to hear the way they really talk on those things. Ah, 7 o'clock! Ah! <laughs> they really do, you know. There's ex-fighter pilots. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff goes on in those fighter planes. You never thought, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, we're standing there, you know, we're giving a... Okay. He says, all right, at the count of three, out with the chute. One. He's gunning the thing. Two. Three. And Johnson takes his fingers like that. And it sort of for a second, it's a funny thing. Disaster happens in slow motion. It just sort of fell like this for a second. It just sort of spun. We're all looking, all five of us. It spun over maybe a couple of times, a little lead weight on it, and suddenly it caught the wind. And it went, and this wire is going out, and the thing is screaming and is smoking. We're stuck back like that. And it's, it's, it's gone completely out of its skull. 
this little winch is screaming, and it's going, bolts are flying. Johnson said, hey, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, he says, shut up, what am I going to do? And the plane is flopping. Obviously, the drag or something is not the way it should have been, and the plane is going, this thing is going, and all of a sudden, the winch goes, boom, and it hangs in midair for a second, and whoa! And there is silence in the plane. And the five of us stand there, and, and there's this empty hole. And there's this, you can see where it's been pulled up by the roots, you know, wires and stuff. All of our stuff is gone. And Johnson says, how did it go? The lieutenant says, how did it go? Johnson says, it's gone. And the lieutenant says, what do you mean? He says, it's gone. Everything's gone. Can we close the thing? Can we close it up, sir, Lieutenant? And the wind is blowing in. We're all, all of us are hanging, you know, like this. All, and, oh, geez. Was it, you know, we, we, for an instant, you know, you don't realize what could have happened. If those bolts had not given up, we could just see our plane, you know, like a, like a plug at the end of a backlash line. Boom! You know, coming down. The bottom pulled out and down flat on its belly. We're standing there. Oh. How do you close it? They haven't told us how you close it. And the lieutenant says, close it up. we got to come in. I can't bring it in like this with the thing open. Close it up. And the plane is sort of jiggling. So Gasser gets his end. I get my end. You know, and it ain't like a door, friends. We start to push. And as we push, the wind gets higher. It becomes like a weather vane. It's going, Wee! Business down, go! Oh my God! We'll never get down. It's not going to work, Lieutenant. Lieutenant, can can four of us put it up instead of just me and Gasser? The, 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 the sergeant said, "Just me and Gasser." Can four of us try it? He's get it down, get it down, will ya? All four of us now. And you know that picture at Iwo Jima? Well, the difference was those guys got it up. And all four of us are like this, and it's pushing us down. And you get that instant, I'm going to get crushed under this thing. We jump, boom, down it goes. There's a silence, and if you can imagine a silence at a plane going 320 miles an hour at 290 feet above the ground, with a 4,000-mile gate, there was a silence. We didn't hear nothing. Gases, what are we going to do? We, we... Lieutenant, is it closed? No. Check your belts. You got your safety belts on? You guys all got your chutes buckled? What? What's he leading up to? And that's exactly what he says. You got your shoots on? Sergeant, go check their suits. And with that, the crew chief comes back, and he sees the big hole, and he goes from each guy. He says, give me that buckle. Pull them like this. Give me that buckle. You're not a workers. They're yelling back and forth. You're not a worker. Pull the thing when we go out. Pull it. Pull it. 
and it was no longer if or but. He says, go out, count three, pull. Oh, got it, you guys? Oh, he works his way back. He's got two shoots on, you know? <laughs> we got those little shoots that the kids get at Woolworth, you know, those little round... <laughs> oh, man. And we're all hanging like this. See, we get, we get up. We start edging back. And Johnson says, Lieutenant... Can we go out the hatch, or do we have to go out the door? Go out the door! Don't get near that hatch! You'll get killed going out that hatch! Just, yeah. We're hanging on there, and the wind is coming in like a solid rock of molten lava. Our faces are raw. Oh, boy. Weeds, cigar butts, old GI hats, everything is flying in all the time. We're flying over a camp. A lot of stuff you pick up. Oh, you should see what airplanes pick up. It's like a big vacuum and we're just sweating. And he says, all right, we're going up to 8,000 feet. And we wait. You'd be surprised how much more peaceful it is at 8,000 feet. Somehow it seemed a little less dangerous. You know, have you had that feeling when you're looking out of a plane, you're 30,000 feet, that it, it, it doesn't look real. There's little things. And not only that, if you fell out, you just sort of fly, you know, just, you can't, you, you just can't see yourself hitting Sixth Avenue, you know. <laughs> you just can't. No, it's, it's a very unreal thing. And we're not, that's why guys find it very easy to drop bombs at 40,000 feet. It isn't real. It's just a mechanical operation. But so there we are. We're looking down and it looks good. We start heading out and he heads out to the water. You know, Dix is near the ocean. He starts heading out over the water. We're looking at the water. What is this water? You know, we, we immediately, you know, gasser can't swim. You, know? you think of sharks. You think of all kinds of stuff in water down there. We make a big turn, and the lieutenant says, Sit down in your seats, buckle your belts, and hang on. We're holding, and the wind is screaming. All five of us are just hanging out to those holding rods. We make a big turn. And we see Dick's coming at the view again. There's those little white houses down there. And he begins to drop. Whee! You know that funny feeling when a plane is going down? It sort of heaves. Heaves. And there's that silence. And you can hear the wind coming in through this insane hatch. And now we see coming up that meadow that we had taken off from. The sergeant up in front, the crew chief, is on the phones. Belts checked. Check your belts. Check your belts. The lieutenant's bringing it in. And then you hear the flaps. You know that flap sound? She comes in. And the worst part of it is, all of us can see the ground right below us coming up faster and faster. Whoa! Boom! She hits. We're up again. Boom! 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 And then it's just rolling. We see the ground and the dandelions are getting slower and slower. And all of a sudden, it stops just sit. 
The lieutenant just whips the back end of this thing around. He throws it. Ah! You know, blah, 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 blah. These are very cool cats. They don't care, you know. He's whipping it back. Blah, blah. Where all of us are sitting there. Absolutely unable to even, even think. We're just sitting. We get to the end of the runway and it goes. Dum, 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 dum. These guys up in front, the three of them get up. Just like that, they open the door, out they go. Gasser, Johnson, me, we slowly get up. Big hole. Watch out for the hole, Johnson. Down the ladder, you know, they don't have steps in these things. You go down the ladder, we're on the ground and our helmets are waving us down. And there is the captain. Looks at his watch. Men, I guess I don't have to tell you, that was a very poor performance. <laughs> the Army never admits that it loused up. Never. There's going to have to be a lot of work on this project before we get it underway. That's the Army's way of saying we're chickening out. <laughs> It'll never be done. Speaking of chickening out, here comes the Red Garter gang. Come on, gang. Come on, come on. By the way, for those of you who don't know this crowd, they're from the Red Garter right down the street. Down the street. And, uh, hey, listen, uh, that was you they were writing about in Cosmopolitan, wasn't it? Oh, boy. All right, they come down every week, just sit down here and blow, look angry. And let you hear the word. All right, let's go, man. Look at that sousaphone. Isn't that a magnificent instrument?
the limelight in the heart of the village, and we will be back immediately following the news. Hey, this is the gang from the Red Garter, for those of you who don't know them. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.